With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Shaper here with you in the early morning hours of Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. As we're talking about a Cardinals winner. Tonight on the show, as the bats came alive in Cincinnati, it took long enough, not because the Cardinals' offense was delayed in getting the job done, but because the rain actually delayed the process of the game being completed. 13-4, to though, the Cardinals take down Cincinnati after a rain delay to begin the festivities on Monday evening and then a rain delay in the middle of the action. But by the time that rain delay arrived, was there really any doubt? that the Cardinals would emerge victorious in this one? Probably not, because once again, they got some major offensive contributions from several places in the lineup. I will continue to rant and rave and love what we've seen from the top of the batting order when the Cardinals are facing a right-handed pitcher, Lars Newpar, Brennan Donovan. They chip in offensively this evening. And in a rare game for Paul Goldschmidt where he doesn't get anything done offensively over four, three strikeouts, Got to make sure that's a more of an anomaly to make sure the MVP race continues to be not much of a race at all in his favor. But Nolan Arenado, he's almost within 100 points on OPS after a two-for-four night with a couple of RBIs and a run scored for Nolan. Dad's strength continuing, but several throughout the lineup getting the job done. And we'll hone in on two in particular tonight. Albert Pujols, who set a new record. I'll tell you what he did with career homer 694 to enter the record book, passing Barry Bonds in a category all his own now for Albert. Six away from 700. We'll give you an update on the mathematics, the logic, the predictions on whether or not Albert Pujols can get it done, can get to 700 before the end of this season, which will be his last in Major League Baseball, is what he has said and has maintained throughout this process. So we'll talk more Albert Pujols as it gets very fun to do this time of year with the strides he's making offensively. He's got that OPS damn near 900 on the season after a productive night in Cincinnati. But beyond that, we're going to talk about Tyler O'Neill because as great as it's been to talk Albert Pujols, and we'll continue to do it, and we'll make sure that we're keeping you guys abreast of all of the record-chasing greatness of number five, it's Tyler O'Neill that can make this team go offensively. He can be truly another engine for this offense, not only right now here at the end of August, but throughout September, throughout the race for the division crown, and then beyond that, into October, what Tyler O'Neill can mean for this offense, I think can elevate the Cardinals in a way that nobody else on this roster has the ability and has shown at the big league level to do what Tyler O'Neill can do for this team to elevate them once we get to October, once we get to the playoffs. So I want to highlight his recent performance. It's been really strong and continue to look at uh, 
the ways he might be able to turn this lineup, which has already been really productive lately, into a juggernaut when we get into the postseason. So we'll talk about the offense. We'll make mention as well of the pitching this evening. It was a little bit strange, as I mentioned, with the rain delays coming through and having a mid-game rain delay at that. Miles Michaelis was on the hill for the Cardinals. Had a really good beginning to his start this evening, but things sort of went off the rails and he was unable to get through five. We'll talk about how that happened as well. But plenty to get to on this evening's episode of B-Shape Daily. want to remind you, though, real quick before we jump into the, the main content of the show, that you can subscribe to the podcast. And boy, would I love it if you did. And if you're listening on an iPhone, Apple Podcast is the way to go. If not, if you're Android, you're living that Google Pixel life like I am, Spotify is a great place to download the B-Shape Daily Podcast and have it in your feed on a daily basis every morning when you head to work, head to school, wherever you are on your morning commute. It'll be there for you because, hey, I record this stinking thing past midnight to make sure it's there for you guys in the morning. So appreciate you guys who listen, who download, who subscribe, and help grow the B-Shape Daily Podcast. Do something else, too. Tell a friend. Let's go word of mouth on this sucker and get this thing out there to all the Cardinals fans who uh, they don't know what they're missing yet. But I'd love to uh, have them find out about it. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do so. I'm on Twitter at bshafer12, and I've linked my Cash App and Venmo accounts on there if you guys would like to support financially what I'm doing over here to B-Shape Daily. Another way to do that, though, is to go to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash bshafer12, and you can then become a patron of the podcast, and you'll get a couple of extra goodies there as well. It's been a little bit lean over the last week or so in terms of writing new articles over at Patreon preparing for the uh, the birth of a baby here in the Schaefer household, which is coming potentially this week. And I'll make sure to post a little bit of uh, a warning here on B-Shaped Daily on the feed that, hey, if I'm gone for a few days, uh, there's a reason for that. And that could be coming uh, as soon as this week. So I appreciate you guys, though, for being with me, for supporting the show. It's going to be a fun run to October. I can feel the Cardinals sort of positioning themselves for that push. And so I can't recommend enough now being the time to jump all in on B-Shape Daily as we gear you up for what could be a profitable postseason run for St. Louis. I liked that on the rain delay during the rain delay this evening on KMOX. They played the 1982 World Series. Jack Buck on the call. Cardinals, of course, beating the Milwaukee Brewers in that series. And something I didn't realize because I'm 28 years old, wasn't alive for the 82 series. And I never knew just how long that final at bat actually took was in the car with my wife this evening driving during that initial rain delay in Cincinnati, listening to the broadcast, the old broadcastman Jack Buck on camo X. And it seemed like, I don't know, five, six, seven pitches in a row. Jack Buck says, and another foul. We'll do it again. I was like, how many times are they going to foul this ball off? Like I've never had so much tension listening to a game where I already know the outcome of the game. Not only did I know the outcome of the game, I knew the outcome of the, that at-bat. I just didn't know it took 10, 11, 12 pitches to get there. And that was kind of fun, but it just reminded me listening to that, and I thought, this 2022 team, there's a chance that 40 years from today, we're listening to a Cardinals rain delay on Camo X, breaking down or replaying the 2022 World Series championship. Like, I sort of had that thought cross through my brain, and I thought, that's a possibility with what this team is doing this year. But that all took place before the game tonight against the Cincinnati Reds, and the Cardinals didn't do anything in this one to change my mind about the fact that this is a contending team. 
We've talked recently on B-Shape Daily, last night's episode. Go back on your podcast feed if you missed it, but talked about the weekend series against the Atlanta Braves, and that's a World Series contender. I mean, they won the World Series last year. They're really strong again this season. The Cardinals found a way to grit and claw and scrap for two out of three against Atlanta. A few weeks ago, they beat the Milwaukee Brewers two out of three. A week or so before that, the New York Yankees, they swept them at Busch Stadium. The Cardinals are taking care of business against these top teams when they show up on the schedule. That has been the most impressive thing about this run over the last month or so for St. Louis is the wins against the really good teams. And you can sense the tension in those games. You can sense that it's kind of a playoff atmosphere, and the Cardinals have continuously found ways to get those wins. And so back up one podcast on your feed if you missed the episode that we posted on Sunday night for Monday morning talking about that Braves series cards took two out of three. Check it out. But this week, okay, you're playing the Cincinnati Reds. You know sort of what to expect. It's one of the weaker teams. But that's not an excuse to let up on the gas. And to their credit, offensively, the Cardinals did not do that. They scored a bunch of runs, a baker's dozen, on Monday night. 13-4, to the Cardinals winners over the Cincinnati Reds. And they got things going. Once that game got started around 7 p.m. Central, a little bit after, Offensively, the Cardinals got rolling. Tyler O'Neill rolling with a home run there in the second inning. And the Cardinals didn't stop there. Tommy Edmond with an RBI double to score a couple of runs. Lars Newpart, Brendan Donovan got in on the fun. 6-0 Cardinals after two innings. And then the fun really starts with regard to history. And Albert Pujols getting in there against the left-handed pitcher. And I don't know if today, as we sit here on August 30th, 2022... I don't know if Ross Detweiler thinks it's a really cool thing that Albert Pujols hit number 694 against him, that Albert Pujols set the all-time MLB record for the most separate individual pitchers off of which he has homered by homering off of Detweiler with an opposite field shot in the third inning tonight. I don't know if Ross thinks that's cool. But as the guy who went to Wentzville Holt High School, same high school as Ross Detweiler, who's from the Wentzville, the St. Louis area. I think it's kind of cool. Like, it's a part of history. Ross Detweiler, first of all, has nothing to hang his head about. The guy is 36 years old. He's been in the game for a long time. He's gotten past that 10 years of MLB service time. 14 different seasons Ross Detweiler has participated in Major League Baseball. Has hung on and, and has really kind of remade his career as a relief pitcher. He's been doing a nice job so far this year in Cincinnati. Not a great night for him tonight, but ERA of 3.65 heading into the game today. And red starter did not get it done. His ERA for the season is 33.75. Not Ross, but Chase Anderson, who started the game tonight for the Reds. This was his only opportunity all season. So when you throw an inning in third and you give up six runs, or pardon me, it was five earned runs that he was charged with, the ERA is not going to be pretty. But what that meant was the Reds needed to fill some innings and talk about a perfect situation if you're Albert Pujols, who has absolutely demoralized left-handed pitching this season. They bring in a lefty who can be sort of a long reliever, they're hoping, and Ross Detweiler ends up making history in the wrong sort of way. Opposite field home run for Albert in the third inning. Not a lot of fans there in Cincinnati. Not a lot of good baseball to be watching up there at the Great American Ballpark this season. But Albert makes his mark with number 694. 
as part of the onslaught there for the Cardinals with the home run there in the third inning. And we'll talk about how Miles Michaelis, let's go ahead and get into that now, actually. Miles Michaelis there in the bottom of the fifth, he's given that eight-run lead. He's thrown four zeros up on the board, and then things just, just kind of start to go off the rails there for him in the fifth inning where he gives up three home runs in a row there in the fifth inning. T.J. Friedel, Stuart Fairchild, Chucky Robinson. I believe the Reds broadcast said that's three rookies. I'm not going to bother even to take the time to make sure they're all rookies, but three rookies homering in that fifth inning. Miles Michaelis unable to get through the fifth inning. Ollie Marmel pulls him at that point, and he was he had some frustration after the game. If you saw the video posted to the Bally Sports Midwest feed on Twitter, Miles Michaelis was just a little frustrated because in a season where you have not been able to maybe rack up the number of wins that you'd like, the decisions have been a little bit all over the map for Miles. He's 10-10 and 10 on the year despite pretty good numbers, a 3.48 ERA. And those numbers were even lower before today's sort of debacle that, that took place there in the fifth inning where he gave up the three home runs, four earned runs to raise the ERA to 3.48. Yeah, he was a little bit upset. Didn't get the win. Chris Stratton ends up coming on an inning and two-thirds of scoreless baseball to get the win. He's 7-4 and four on the season and lowered that ERA to 4.75. Remember, when he came over to the Cardinals in that trade with Pittsburgh, I think his ERA was over 5.5. So he's been able to settle things in, and Cardinals going to need him come October. I know that in games where you're leading, that's not necessarily a guy that you want to see in there unless it's a blowout like it was today. But good on Stratton to be able to kind of keep things where it, where it was at that point. Eight to four, that's not a guaranteed win the way that eight nothing previously had had felt like. So Stratton holds it there. Zach Thompson could see him back with the team. A couple of innings of scoreless baseball, and then Jake Woodford gets in there to close things out tonight for the Cardinals. Again, I think you could make a little bit of a case that, all right, over the last week, last few days or so, the Cardinals... If there's one thing to be concerned about, it's just the notion that starting pitching has not been superlative outside of Adam Wainwright, who went six and two-thirds, two runs given up on Sunday. And the only reason those runs scored was Ryan Helsley. And Ryan Helsley does not make mistakes like that, giving up the home run to Dansby Swanson. That's hardly ever going to happen. It's hardly ever happened on the season. ERA is still 1.04 for Helsley after that situation on Sunday. And for Wainwright, six and two-thirds, two earned runs would have been zero had Helsley got a ground ball or a pop-up or something right there, gotten out of the jam. It didn't happen, not the end of the world. We like Wainwright's start on Sunday. But everybody else, Quintana, Montgomery, and now in this game tonight, Miles Michaelis on Monday, not really able to get the kind of start that you'd like to see from him. And so you're perhaps a little bit, I'm not going to say concerned, but you're keeping that in the back of your mind as this team moves forward into September. When you get into a playoff series, so here's why I'm not, long-term, all that worried about it. A few different reasons. One, I think the Cardinals are going to be able to set up their pitching rotation the way they want to. I think they're going to get so far ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers that it's not really going to be a factor in terms of that last week of the season having to claw and scrap for any win that they can get to ensure that they qualify as the number three seed in the National League playoff picture. Because, again, I'm going to try to remind people from time to time here on the show of what that's going to look like this October. But with the expanded postseason format in baseball this year, 
two teams from the National League, two teams from the American League are going to get a bye into the NLDS and the ALDS, respectively. But beyond that, you're going to have to play in a best two out of three wildcard series. But if you're the, the winner of that third division, because you got the Dodgers out west, you've got the, the Mets and the Braves out east, that likely the division winner of the NL East is going to have a better record than the Cardinals, which means the Cardinals, as the NL Central winner, will be the three seed in the National League. They'll play in that wild card series, best two out of three. They'll play against the number six seed, which I can go ahead and do a quick playoff picture update on how the National League is stacking up. It's actually changed a little bit. Whereas right now, the Atlanta Braves, that's not changed. They're still the number one seed in terms of the wild card. So that would make them the number four overall seed in the NL picture. They're three games behind the Mets, and so they would vault to number two at 79 and 50. They're still four and a half games, or rather just four games above the Cardinals. So that's maybe one thing to keep in mind, that the Cardinals could theoretically put themselves in position to pass the Braves, which would then get them that buy into the NLDS, and that would be significant. Problem is the Braves have been playing so well of late. It's it's only been really the Cardinals series that anybody has gotten the best, best or the better, at least, of Atlanta. And the Cardinals took two out of three from them over the weekend. But if the Braves would somehow go on a little bit of a lull and the Cardinals would would keep the, the pedal to the metal, that's not impossible. That margin of four games right now, Cardinals are 75 and 54. The Braves are 79 and 50. That's just four games. And as we know, the Braves have been known to, at times, fall much below a four-game advantage. They've squandered much more than that in the past. I believe it was 10 and a half games back in 2011 on August 25th. So history would tell you it's not impossible, but history would also suggest that that's only really ever happened the one time, and it's not particularly likely to take place. So let's just assume right now that the Braves are going to be ahead of the Cardinals, that the NL East winner, whether that's the Braves or the Mets, Right now, the Braves are three games behind the Mets. The Cardinals are four games behind the Braves. So that would be seven games. Right now, the Cardinals are trailing the Mets for that number two spot in the National League, which would get them directly into the NLDS. Otherwise, they're the three seed, and they're playing that bottom wildcard team. The Braves right now, number one in the wildcard. And the change that I alluded to was that number two in the wildcard is no longer the Padres. They've sort of fallen off a little bit. And the Phillies have come on strong, 72-57 and 57 for Philadelphia, 70-59 and 59 for the Padres. So Philly is two games up on San Diego. Philly is in that number two wildcard spot, which would mean number five as they're seeding in the National League playoff picture. The Padres are number six right now. With the Brewers behind them by only one game, 68-59, and 59. they're even in the loss column. The Brewers have played two fewer games. They'd have to win both to then be tied, locked into a tie for that third wild card spot in the National League. But as of right now, it would be Cardinals, Padres in a best two out of three at Bush Stadium beginning, I believe, October 7th. That's where things would be if the season ended today. Cardinals are six games up, though, on the Brewers, so I feel like they're going to have every opportunity to sort of set up their pitching the last week. The one thing that could change that other than the Brewers going on a ridiculous run, the Cardinals sort of fading back, and you have to scrap and claw for that division championship. There's a world in which the Cardinals decide to gun it. The final week or so of September, early October, they played the Pirates a lot that last week. There's a world in which the Cardinals can close in on the Mets, like I said, seven games back, 
let's say they're three games back going into the final week of the season and you play Pittsburgh like six times. Not back in the division, but back of that number two seed. That's valuable because you don't have to play that wild card series. You don't have to play that two out of three if you can surpass one of the other division leaders. And the Dodgers are untouchable, so that just leaves the NL East leader. If I'm the Cardinals at that point, I I sell out just for the hope of trying to catch up. Now, there might be a number that they have in mind where they say, you know, we're going to pitch Adam Wainwright, we're going to pitch Michaelis, we're going to pitch these guys anyway, but realistically, we're not going to catch them. So we're going to just get their work in four innings, whatever five innings it looks like, keep them fresh and sharp for that wild card series. Because what happens then, and why this was kind of a long diatribe as to my whole point was why I'm not that concerned about the recent struggles for Cardinals pitching, is first of all, you know, Wainwright still looked good. Michaelis, when he looks bad, it was tonight on the road. You think about the starts that Michaelis has had this season that have not been so strong. It's primarily been in those situations where he's been on the road. Uh, the one in Denver was uh, the 10-run game. I believe that one particularly comes to mind for Miles Michaelis. He's been a lot better at Bush Stadium this season, and that's been something that's been also true for Adam Wainwright, not just this year, but over the course of the last several years. I remember the first year, I think it was 2019, where Wainwright really started to settle back in, and that was the year they went to the NLCS and uh, were swept by the Nationals. But that season, Wainwright was brilliant at Bush Stadium, even though overall his numbers were just so-so. I think his ERA was like four, but at Bush it was like 2.6. Off the top of my head, I'm, I'm coming up with that. If it was wrong, you can you can rip me in the comments and leave a bad review. But it's 1 a.m., so I'm not going to look it up. It was something like that, though. And then in, in, in the years since, Wainwright has been just really good at Bush Stadium. He's been good overall, but has been even better at home, to where his overall numbers have been especially impressive. For Miles Michaelis, though, this season, it's been sort of that same way where at home he's been absolutely dominant, and on the road he's been just kind of average. This is before tonight using baseball references numbers, and the the away numbers for Miles are going to go up a little bit after this because he didn't get through five and he gave up four earned. But 4.21, the ERA coming into tonight on the road this season, so he probably bumps up to 4.3, 4.40 for the road ERA. At home, though, Miles Michaelis, 2.45, his ERA in 12 starts. So you trust what he's going to do at Bush Stadium. And knowing that as long as the Cardinals win that division, as long as they stay ahead of the Brewers, which you may have to do anyway just to make the playoffs, because like I said, right now the Brewers are not even in the top six there in the NL playoff picture. So there are no guarantees if you don't win the division as that runner-up in the NL Central that is going to be good enough to make October. Whoever that team is, right now, obviously, it's the Brewers, and by by a healthy margin, the Brewers would have to go on a bit of a run and hope that the Padres or the Phillies sort of fade back if two teams from the NL Central are going to reach the playoffs this year. But in terms of Adam Wainwright's numbers, very similar on the home road splits. 2.15 ERA at home, 4.31 on the road. It's almost identical with the exception being that Miles has had two more starts, now three more on the road. Wayno has had a couple more at home than he has on the road. But ERA in the low twos at home, ERA in the low to mid fours on the road. And that's something that the Cardinals would not have to worry about in terms of that wild card series. Because you could start Wainwright, Michaelis, in whichever order you wanted, 
in both those games are at Bush Stadium. If you win them both, even better. If you don't, you can figure out whoever your third starter needs to be. Quintana, Montgomery, and don't sleep on Jack Flaherty, who is making his way back to St. Louis. And I believe I saw the post-dispatch report that he's supposed to pitch, supposed to start for the Cardinals on Labor Day, which would be September 5th, provided everything goes well with his rehab situation. He's going to start on Wednesday, according to Derek Gould, for Springfield and go as deep into the game as his performance dictates. So no pitch count, no target, just go get outs and see what you can do. That's going to be his final tune-up, and it's with all restrictions taken off. So if Flaherty looks good in that game, and more importantly, he comes out of it healthy, he's going to be pretty much geared up with an entire September and then into October in the Cardinals rotation. What that means for Dakota Hudson, we will see, but I think we we sort of know the answer to that, with the exception being a possible injury to somebody else, and Hudson stays in the rotation, but he's kind of been that that obvious fifth guy, I think, ever since the trades for Quintana and Montgomery. But I like the idea of starting out Wainwright Michaelis at home. If you need to get into a third spot in that series, okay. And then you say, well, I, I don't want to see Wainwright and Michaelis on the road. That's fine. You probably wouldn't have enough days to get them rested and ready anyway. So on the road, if you want to go Jack Flaherty game one, especially if he looks good in September, which is not a guarantee, but let's just live in that world for a moment. Or Jordan Montgomery has shown the ability to pitch home or road. Obviously one stinker that he that he just had over the weekend at Bush. But apart from that, he's been nails as a Cardinal. So maybe it's Montgomery Flaherty. And then you come back home for games three and four in the NLDS and you throw that Michaelis Wainwright tandem once again, and that could be something that vaults you into the NLCS just like that while not having to worry about your two best pitchers who have had such drastic splits. They wouldn't even need to pitch on the road, and you could find your way into the NLCS that way. And from there, yeah, I mean, you got to match up with the the Dodgers probably, but that's a Dodgers team that just lost Tony Gonsolin. He's on the IL right now. They've lost Walker Bueller for the season. We know that Clayton Kershaw's back flare-ups have been consistent and problematic for that team. We know the Cardinals can match up with the Braves if that ends up being the team that emerges, depending on how the bracket shakes out. Like, the Cardinals can match up with all of these teams. That's that's my takeaway from all of this and, and what I really wanted to get into from a pitching perspective. But let me rock back into the offense here a little bit as we talk a little bit more about Albert Pujols. I, I, I mentioned it, I talked about it, but I want to make sure that I give it its full due and talk about what could it look like for Albert to actually get to 700. I mentioned two for four tonight. He also reached base via walk, so on base three times. 883 is the OPS for Albert this season. Pujols up to a 277 batting average, and he's got an OPS over 1,200 with relative ease since July 6th. That's the number. That's sort of the arbitrary endpoint sample size that I came up with to make his numbers look as good as they can, but he doesn't need my help with that. He's been doing it now for nearly two months. Like if he has another good week, you can say, yeah, Albert Pujols has been the best hitter in baseball for two months with an OPS of 1,200, which is just absolutely bonkers. I mean, the career high for Albert in terms of an OPS in a single season has been 1,114 back in 08 was his uh, career best. 1114 and right now for two months damn near he's at 1200 and well over 1200 after what he did tonight 
So it's been pretty impressive to see what he's been able to accomplish. He could end the season with a 900 OPS, which is something that he's not done since he was a Cardinal back in 2011, 906. And now he's at 883, which uh, even if it stays at 883, that would be his high since 2011. So it's been pretty remarkable. But let's talk about what everybody wants to know. Can he realistically get to 700? I say yes. My percentages have been rising as time has gone on. He went on a little bit of a lull, but now he's picked things back up with a couple of quick homers. 694, he's got six to go. And you look over the past, I, I, I named it nearly two months, but since July 6th, it's been a span of 36 games that he's played. His playing time has certainly ramped up over the latter part of that sample size. Back in July, it was kind of a little bit sporadic, and you had the all-star break, breaking things up there as well. But Albert, in 36 games, has hit 11 home runs. And the Cardinals have 33 games remaining on the season. So you do a little bit of math. Again, I can't expect that he would maintain this 1,200 OPS pace that he's had for seven, seven and a half weeks, close to eight weeks. But if he did, and he and he continued to hit the power swing the way he has, yeah, he's going to get to 700. My percentage now is up to 65%. I started out about 14% two weeks ago two and a half weeks ago, and then he went on that little run. And I said, I need to maybe recalibrate. I was up to 40%, 50%. I'm now closing in on two-thirds odds that Albert gets there. And part of the reason for that is if he doesn't get there before the final week of the season, they're going to see Pittsburgh for six games in a row to end this year. I want to make sure I get this completely right when it comes to the Cardinals' schedule. But I'll tell you this right now, from what I recall before I can actually pull it up here on my computer. It's pretty favorable to end the season against a Pirates team that's playing for nothing. Yeah, six games in a row. They play in St. Louis, September 30, October 1, October 2. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Get yourselves to Bush Stadium for that because it will be the final home series of the regular season. Obviously, there's going to be playoffs after that, barring something unforeseen. And barring something unforeseen, those playoff games will be at Bush Stadium. At a minimum, you play two in that wild card series. But they play the Pirates at home, and then they go on the road to play the Pirates again. Six games in a row to end the season. October 3rd, 4th, and 5th will be that final series. PNC Park, Albert Pujols has absolutely crushed in that ballpark for his career. So what I'm looking at is this. Albert even if over the next three weeks to get you to about September 21st, if Albert hits one a week, just get him one home run per week, which, again, he's hit 11 home runs over the past, what's it been, seven-ish weeks? So he's averaging better than a one home run per week for the, the better part of the second half of the season. And if he can just maintain that pace, which I, I recognize is a torrid pace, but I don't think it's fluky at this point. I think it's just what he's doing. Give him one a week and he gets to 697 with two weeks to go, knowing that the final six games are against Pittsburgh and the final three games are in PNC Park in Pittsburgh. First of all, with the Cardinals up by six games right now, there's going to come a point where they just get so far ahead of the Brewers and do need to recognize that they play Milwaukee the series before that against Pittsburgh, like late September. And so if the Brewers are within striking distance, the Cardinals are still going to have to go balls to the wall to make sure that they take them down. Maybe they clinch it against Milwaukee in that 
mid mid to late September. It's like September 25th through 28th or something like that. And I guess since I pulled the schedule up, I can be a little bit more specific and give you the actual dates. It's just a two-game series, so see, it's a good thing I looked at this. The 27th and 28th in Milwaukee, they play two games. That might be when you clinch. They play, but man, the September schedule is tough. The 23rd through 25th, the Dodgers on the road. Prior to that, the 20th through 22nd, the Padres on the road. Two contending teams in the Padres. You could be talking about trying to knock them out of playoff positioning or maybe knock them into a lower wild card tier. It kind of depends on where they are at that point in time. But that's certainly going to be fascinating because you go Padres, Dodgers, Brewers for eight games there in late September, mid to late. And as long as the Cardinals just tread water there, I think they'll be able to clinch by the end of that. Again, they're up by six right now. And they've got Brewers, Pirates, bunch of games against the Cincinnati Reds at home. Looks like another five-game series across four days there in mid-September. That'll be against Cincy. They just had one of those at Wrigley. So they'll play the Reds a bunch. They'll play four in total against the Brewers in September. They'll get the Pirates. They'll get the Nationals. That's a game, or a series rather, at home. Cubs at home coming up uh, next weekend. And right now they're dealing with the Cincinnati Reds. By next weekend, I mean this weekend. Time is sort of a construct for me right now. So, yeah, the Cardinals play a bunch of bottom feeders all the way through until they have a couple of games, the 13th and 14th against the Brewers, more bottom feeders, and then the 20th begins a stretch where they go Padres, Dodgers, Brewers, all on the road, just don't get eaten alive in that that stretch, and you probably emerge from that with the division in hand. And if that is the case, they're going to play Albert Pujols every single day that weekend in Bush and that weekend in or pardon me, that that following week in PNC Park to end the regular season because they recognize that Albert is a danger to others at PNC Park. He has the potential to go absolutely hamburglar in a ballpark where he has a career 1,164 OPS. His lifetime OPS in PNC Park, there's only a couple of places he's been better. Shea Stadium, 1,174, they no longer exist. Uh, Qualcomm Stadium, pretty sure that's not a thing anymore. OPS of 1,181. And Nationals Park, 1,223. So that's the only place that's active that he's been better, and that's only been 78 plate appearances compared to 436 plate appearances at PNC Park, where he has gone for a 373 average, 447 on base, and a 717 slug, 32 homers, in 436 plate appearances. So he's basically averaging a 50 home run season lifetime at PNC Park. And that's a Pirates team. They could be throwing position players. They could be just throwing their lefties. They don't give a darn at that point. Albert could hit three home runs just that weekend alone, or that week, I should say, if he needed to, that three-game series. He could hit five in six games against Pittsburgh, and it would not shock me. So, yeah, the more I talk about this, the more I think 65% might actually be low. Yes, I do believe Albert's going to get there. Apologies, again, to Bed Frederickson, who said so before I thought it was even a possibility that after the All-Star break and after the home run derby that Albert was looking like he was starting to heat up and was going to get there. I thought it was hogwash. It's not. It really does appear that this has the strong potential to happen. And 694 coming on Monday night definitely uh, increased those odds.
So we'll see. We'll continue to update you right here on B-Shape Daily as to our daily thoughts on Albert Pujols and the chase for 700. And then the next chase becomes, and it's the one he's been on all year, by the way, the chase for the World Series, because that is something that would be so cool to see 42-year-old Albert Pujols playing in a World Series, trying to win one for the Cardinals before he retires, get one more under his belt. That would be really neat. This guy has been missing the playoffs. He was with the Angels for a long time. Got in there with the Dodgers a little bit last year, obviously. But he would be an integral part of what the Cardinals are looking to do if they can get there. I want to talk, though, about Tyler O'Neill a little bit more before we wrap up the podcast tonight. Fun talking about Albert, as always. But I think we got to give some due to Tyler O'Neill. Two for four tonight, two home runs with three runs driven in. He also reached base via walk. And that power was enough to get his OPS over 700 for the season. He's up to 704, 12 homers, 53 RBIs. He's getting the numbers there. He's getting it going. And it couldn't be coming at a better time. It really couldn't. Last 15 games, well, last seven games, he's got a OPS near 1,500 with five home runs in seven games. And that's really what's been driving this. But if you even take it back out to the last 15 games, no additional home runs because all five of his home runs in the last 15 games have come within the last seven. But over the last 15, 286 average, 390 on base, a 612 slug. That's good enough for a 1,002 OPS for Tyler O'Neill, And that is the kind of hitter Tyler O'Neill can be, and it's the kind of hitter the Cardinals need him to be moving forward. Because the guy he was last year, 912 OPS, eighth in the MVP vote. He won a gold glove. You play like that on a regular basis, you're one of the top five to six most valuable players in the National League every year. Because what he brings offensively and defensively, it's hard to combine that into one package and put it on display year after year. Tyler O'Neill, still young enough to where he's in his prime. Right? Tyler O'Neill, he's younger than me. About the same age. He's born 622-95. I was born 7194, so he's not quite a year younger than me, but he's 27 years old. And is completely capable of having a number of very, very productive and powerful and dangerous in the middle of a lineup type years for the Cardinals moving forward. Right now, they just need him to be that guy for the stretch run of this season because what it does to a lineup is hard to quantify. But I'll quantify it like this. It makes you really damn good. I I continue to, to sing the praises of Newt Barr and Brendan Donovan who started second base tonight. I like him at second base. If Nolan Gorman hits lefties, that's great. But if you start to see him sort of falter, you can worry about what it looks like for his role next year. But I'm putting Brendan Donovan in the lineup every single day as I've continued to reiterate here on the show. They've done a good job. It's to the detriment of, of maybe the long-term development. You, you worry about what that could look like for Dylan Carlson not in the lineup most recently against right-handed pitching. And that's been a trend that's gone back a week or so. And they stuck with it. Again tonight, uh, Carlson, I should say, was not in the starting lineup for the Cardinals. Albert Pujols was in there because Goldsmith gets the night at DH. So they're working Albert in, even though it's a righty. But I don't think they expected Chase Anderson to go very long in the game, and that was partially why they probably did that way. Obviously, it works out because they bring in the lefty 
Detweiler and Albert goes yard off of him, gets one closer to 700. But I'm looking at this lineup and saying, yeah, I mean, this is the way to go against right-handed pitching, and it almost doesn't matter with regard to Donovan. Get him in there, keep him in there. Had another couple of RBIs and a run score with a base hit tonight. Carlson's going to get his chances, but it's going to be primarily against left-handed pitching. Gorman's going to get his chances, but tonight doesn't get it against the right-handed pitching because you've seen him sort of fall off the mark a little bit. But a guy that does continue to play against righties and has raised his numbers now above Gorman, he's passing guys left and right. He's passed Carlson already, long since sailed past Tommy Edmond. Corey Dickerson, now 751 OPS for the season. That is five points higher than Nolan Gorman. And the next guys that he would start to pass are guys that are actually very, very productive and, and have been contributing all year, like Donovan at 783. Like Tyler O'Neill is at 704. Carlson, 708. These guys have have been uh, left in the dust by what Dickerson's doing. Another big game for him tonight. Three for five, two runs scored. Drives in another run. He's up to 283 is his batting average for the season. And Dickerson comes up with the home run. The Dick Dong, as uh, Katie Wu coined. Fifth home run of the season. He's not a big power guy, but you'll you'll take him when you can get him. And that was a little bit garbage time. He comes up with that homer in the ninth. But hey, you'll take it. The numbers have been really good. The fact that he's got a 750 OPS. If you had told me preseason, told me back in March, hey, Corey Dickerson's going to have a 751 OPS with a 283 average. I'd been like, yep. And his on base is probably, what, 305 would have been my guess. And I'm saying that right now. I don't even know the answer. 316 is his on base. So I would have sold him a little bit short. But he's not a guy who takes a lot of walks. It's the, it's the batting average that allows him to have a, a capable on base. He just gets hits. And right now, with, a, with an offense and a lineup that gets on base frequently, that's really good. But I just wanted to reiterate that Tyler O'Neill is the engine that makes all of this go. Like, in addition to Goldie and Arnato, who are going to have their games and it's going to be frequent, adding Tyler O'Neill and a guy of his caliber to that group is something that gives the Cardinals a look that they otherwise will not come up with. Not even with a Dickerson... Not even with a Donovan or a Newt Bar, although maybe Newt Bar is in that category because he's been ridiculously good. But we did strike out three times tonight. But Tyler O'Neill is in a, a class of his own, by which I mean he can join the class that Goldsmith and Arenado have occupied all year. His numbers at the end of the year don't really matter. What matters is raising them from where they are right now and being extremely productive with the final month, month plus of the season and into October. If he can do that, you go Newt Bar, Donovan, Goldsmith, Arenado, O'Neal, Pujols in there against lefties, maybe even against righties, who knows. Gorman, otherwise, Dickerson in there as well. Edmund has, <laughs> Tommy Edmund has suddenly been really good from the bottom of the lineup too. Like him in that nine hole because he turns the lineup back over for you. 315 on base, 26 steals, 10 homers. I don't like the OPS below 700, but you look over the past seven games, Hitting 310, slugging 690, set a couple of big homers. And even beyond that for Tommy Edmond, when you sort by the last 15 games, which again, most of that production has come in the last seven, so it's a little bit of sample size madness right now. But the 540 slugging percentage, 283 on base, that stacks up to an OPS over 800. If Tommy Edmond had an 800 OPS, he'd be like a seven-win player if he did that over the course of a full season because he's just so good defensively whether at short, whether at second, it doesn't matter. That's what the Cardinals are dealing with. It's been really, really impressive to see 
him defensively, the value he brings. It's like I always talked about with Bader. He just needs to be average, league average offensively, and he's one of the most productive, valuable players in the league because of how well he produces on defense. If Edmund is your nine batter, OPSing 750, and giving that defensively, it, the sky is the limit. And the sky is the limit for this team right now, especially the way Tyler O'Neill is mixing in and providing that power element once again. So, been really cool to watch. Cardinals are going to try to keep this going, stay out in front of Milwaukee, try to expand that lead the best that they can, and uh, the vibes are good. Vibes are good around this team, and they should stay that way as well for the remainder of this year. So we'll see what the Cardinals are able to come up with as they continue along in Cincinnati. Like I said earlier in the show, uh, there will be a pause to B-Shape Daily potentially later this week uh, due to the birth of uh, the first child for my wife and I. So going to keep you guys posted about that as best as I can. But otherwise, subscribe, stay locked in on the show. We'll keep doing them until uh, there, there comes a point for a couple days where we're unable to. But appreciate you guys. Your support means a whole lot, especially right now with everything kind of moving and shaking and changing in my personal life. So thank you guys so much for being there for me, for listening to the show, and uh, stay along for the ride. It's going to be a fun September and then October after that for the Cardinals. And uh, we'll chronicle all of it right here on B-Shape Daily. So thank you guys once again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.